19, 1 through 4. We'll have the verses for you. I'll move very quickly. This morning, we're in our series on Elijah. Elijah is an ordinary man. He's just an ordinary guy who serves an extraordinary God. And uh, last week, we saw where Elijah prayed. And remember, God sent fire from heaven and burned up uh, the, the sacrifice to altar there. Um, and then Elijah kills the false prophets, 850 false prophets. And then he prays, and God then sends rain back into the land. And so we're looking at Elijah, this ordinary man who is serving an extraordinary God. And I want to look at James 5, 17, and then we'll jump to 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4. James 5, 17 says this, Elijah was as human, or we could say this, he was just as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would would fall, no, none fell for three and a half years. And then we saw last week that he then prayed and God sent rain. Then go to 1 Kings chapter 19, and this is where we are now in the, the life of Elijah. We're going to see a little bit different Side of Elijah, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, it says this. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He went home and he tattled. He went home and he told his wife what Elijah had done. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And withal, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She says, Elijah, you're dead. By tomorrow at this time, you're dead meat, you're dead, you better watch out. Now notice what happens. And when he saw that, Elijah says, it says that Elijah, he arose... And he went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he leaves his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Wow, what a completely different side to the Elijah that we've been studying now for quite a while. Would you agree? Elijah, this great prophet, considered one of the three greatest of all prophets. Let's be reminded of some of the things about Elijah. We understand that he was a man of faith. He was a man of courage. He was a man of boldness. He was, up to this point, he's fearless. He's obedient. I mean, he's a man of prayer. Remember, uh, I mean, he, he prays and God stops the heavens for three and a half years. He's obedient when God says go uh, to where he's supposed to go and where God would sustain him. And he obeys and he does what God tells him to do. He prays and brings back a boy who had died, brings him back to life. He is then told by God to go confront the king The king of the land, King Ahab, and confront him, and he does. And we read last week what took place. 
that when he confronts him, that he, he sets up an altar and remember the false gods and the false prophets and they prayed all day and, and no power, nothing. And Elijah prays a short little 63 word prayer and God sends fire from heaven and it consumes everything and licks up the water that he put on top of the sacrifice. He then says, you know, tells the people you need to decide who you're going to serve. I mean, the courage of Elijah. And then he takes his sword The Bible says he takes the 850 false prophets and he kills all of them. And then he goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he prays. The Bible says earnestly, passionately, seven times, calls out to God and God then sends a tremendous rain and the plague is over. And then, this, I mean, this just blows my mind. Jezebel. Jezzy says, tomorrow, tomorrow at this time, I'm going to have you killed. After all that God, I'm sorry here, after all that God had just done for Elijah. By the way, man, she's got a backbone, let me tell you. Ahab didn't have the courage to do it. Ahab runs home and tells his wife, Jezebel. He tells Jezzy what happened, and Jezzy says, that's it, off with his head. He's dead meat. And sends a messenger to Elijah and says, by tomorrow at this time, you're dead. Now, how should have Elijah responded? Up to this point... After all that God has done, how should have Elijah responded? He should have said, bring it. You know, like, yeah, by the way, Jezebel, man, she, she was a tough cookie, let me tell you. I don't know. I don't know. About, I'm just saying, if you, if you were Jezebel and, and you heard all that just took place and what God just did through Elijah, It takes a lot of guts to confront Elijah, the man of God. Are you with me? Man. Boy, this is a whole other message. But can I tell you, the spirit of Jezebel is a satanic spirit. And the enemy does not give up easily. We are in spiritual warfare. And Elijah was in spiritual warfare. And we'll talk next week. So come back next week. Don't miss kind of what led up to and why Elijah is in the position that he's in. But here's what I want us to get just for a few moments this morning, and that is this. Is up to this point, we've been saying all along that Elijah is just as human as we are. That Elijah is a human, and he has the same feelings and emotions that we do. And up to this point, all we have seen is his faith and his courage, his boldness, his fearless tenacity, his obedience. We see his prayers and we see the miracles that God performed through him. But up to this point, we don't really see his humanity. We don't really see his frailty. But at this moment, and I'm glad that the Bible puts it in there. Aren't you glad that God didn't keep it out of there? We see his humanity. We see that he was just as human as you and I are. Elijah blows it. He messes up. 
Listen to the statement I'm about to, to make. Listen to these words carefully. The very best of men are men at best. Let that sink in. The very best of men are men at best. We're all men and women of clay. We're all but dust. We all put on our pant legs one leg at a time. Or Elijah put on his sandals probably one at a time. Or his tunic one arm at a time. He's just as human as you and I. And we, we don't really let that sink in until we come to 1 Kings 19, 1-4. Are you with me this morning? Because it says in James that he is just as human. And some versions will say that he has the same thoughts and same frailties and the same emotions that you and I have. And it's the truth and it's true. But let's just be honest. Reading up to it, up to this point, we kind of have Elijah up here on this pedestal where Elijah is this great man of God. And where Elijah is kind of almost in our, he's a super Christian. Elijah is just, we put him up on this pedestal where Elijah is this man of God and he's this prophet. And we kind of have a tendency, our human nature is to put people up here. And so Elijah, we're now seeing his frailty. We're seeing his humanity. We're seeing that he's just a man. And that the very best of men are men at best. And as I study through the scriptures and I study through the Bible, and when we look at the, the Bible characters and those in the scripture, we often, many a times, focus on the fact that they were, had great faith and great courage and great obedience and all of that is true. But we also need to be reminded that they were just as human as we are. Noah, the Bible says, found grace in the eyes of the Lord and goes out and he builds the ark and he's a man of obedience. But after he comes out of the ark, one of the first things he did was he got drunk. You would too if you were stuck in a small boat with your family for a year. No, that's a joke. (laughs) And the smell, (laughs) that was a joke. Abraham was called the father of our faith, a man of faith. He was willing to sacrifice his one and only son and believe that God would provide a substitute. But there was a time where he had a lapse of faith and he was afraid and he even lied about his wife because she was beautiful and lies about Sarah. And he has a lapse of faith. Interesting, Isaac, his son, does the same thing. Isaac, again, one of the great fathers of the faith, yet he lost his faith. Moses, the meekest man in all the earth, the Bible says, he was the meekest man that there was. And remember, he's leading God's people, and there was a point where he gets frustrated, he gets angry with God's people. What does he do? God says to him to speak to the rock. And Moses didn't speak to the rock in his anger. He called the people a bunch of rebels. And he begins to smite the rock twice. And he hits the rock two times. And the Bible says that God was merciful. Water came out of the rock. But God said, because of this sin, he said, because of your sin, you will not go in to the promised land, Moses. Joshua The man of faith, the man of courage, Joshua, the man of prayer, leads the people into the promised land. He has that great victory there at that battle of Jericho. 
And then what happens is he does not seek God. And he goes out and he fails in the battle of Ai. Gideon, the great judge, tore down idols. And even at the end of his life and towards the end of his life, they come to him and they want to worship him and make a statue of him, which he refuses. But then he takes all of their gold, and it's a long story, but he makes basically an ephod out of 42 pounds worth of gold. And what does it do? It causes the people to create an idol out of it. Samson. Samson in the Bible. Man, that the Bible says in the Old Testament, it says more of Samson than anyone else in the Old Testament, that he was filled with the Spirit. That he had the Spirit of God upon him. That the Spirit of God came upon him. And, the, and God used him tremendously there in the book of Judges. And God used him. But what does Samson do? He allows his lust and a lust after women and after a woman to cause him David, what do we think of David? There's a statement about David that says this, David was a man after God's own heart. Yet he he sins and not going out to battle. He stays home, he's bored, he's idle. He goes out on his rooftop and he looks out over and he sees the beautiful Bathsheba on her roof bathing. You know, I've had people over the years blame Bathsheba for David's sin. Can I tell you something? That is a gross twisting of the scriptures. David, the Bible says, at a time when the kings went out to battle, David stayed home in Jerusalem. You see, David was not where he was supposed to be. And there's a whole other message here. But when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, bad things can happen. When the kings were supposed to be to battle, David stayed home and he sent his generals to go out and fight for him. And David is bored and it says in the afternoon, he woke up from a nap. David should not have been sleeping at 1 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He should have been out working. Amen. An idle mind is a devil's playground. And David walks out and he sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he begins to lust after her. And he says, I want her. And even one of his own said, no, 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 you can't. That's, that, that's Uriah, the, the Hittite. That's Uriah's wife. You can't. No. David said, bring her to me. There's a whole lot to this story. But if you understand, Uriah was one of David's mighty men. He was one of David's best friends. Uriah was considered one of the three of the mighties. And he was one of the men who went and broke through the, the, the Philistine lines and brought a drink of water to David when David was hiding in a cave. Uriah was his best friend. And how did David treat his best friend? He took his best friend's wife. While he's out at battle in the city of Amman, Jordan today, as he's at, the, at battle, he gets her pregnant, has to try to hide his sin brings Uriah back, and it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad that David, a man after God's own heart, was less right with God than Uriah when David got him drunk. It's pretty sad that Uriah was more right with God drunk than David was sober. That's an interesting thought. And Uriah says, no, I won't do it. Not when our men are dying in battle. And so then David has... The letter sent for Uriah. Uriah takes the letters 
and he's, in essence, murdered in battle at the hands of David. Not only did David have Uriah murdered, but there were men who said, we will not leave Uriah out there to fight alone, and other men died. You say, David, a man after God's own heart, the great king of Israel, the shepherd king, fell to lust and went so far as to murder. Solomon, the wisest man in all of the earth, a man so wise, yet he had a thousand, a total of a thousand wives and concubines. Having 700 mother-in-laws is not a wise decision. <laughs> it is not. The Bible says that he married, it was more of a strategic move, married Pharaoh's daughter. If you were to study, you'll find those from Ammon, those from the Hittites. He married them in strategic moves and made them his wives. But here's one thing that the Bible tells us later, that it stole his heart and he began to worship the idols of his wives. Peter, full of courage and boldness. And Peter, who said, I will not deny you, denies the Lord three times. And he curses and he swears. The Bible tells us of Paul and Barnabas, two great and godly men. Barnabas used greatly to bring Paul, who was Saul, into the flock and Paul and Barnabas, these two godly men, the Bible says, got into a, degree, a disagreement so much so. The Bible says that their words were so sharp, that they were so, if you will, bitter, that the, they both turned and went different directions. Yes, the Apostle Paul was just as human as you and I. And Barnabas was just as human as you and I. And Peter was just as human as you and I. The very best of men are men at best. Elijah in all of his courage, Elijah in all uh, of his boldness, we see him running from Jezebel and saying, I'm not even worthy to live. So what is the lesson for us today? Can I just encourage you with this? And that is be careful. Be careful about putting people on a pedestal and the higher you put them on that pedestal, can I tell you something? The harder they're going to fall when they fail you. If there's one danger in Christianity today, and it's been this way for hundreds and hundreds and many generations of years, is we have a tendency to what I call hero worship. And it may not even be something intentional, but what happens is whether it's people in our lives, and it's not just pastoral leadership or speakers or evangelists, but sometimes even in our own homes and families, oftentimes even kids put their parents on, in a place that they expect them to be perfect. Can I tell you something? There is no perfect parent. People get into relationships and marriage, and they have this idea of what marriage is going to look like or, or a husband and wife, and so a husband has this idea of what the wife is to be and the wife has idea what the husband's to be and somewhere in there it's almost this idea of, of perfection. Can I tell you something? There is no perfect husband. There is no perfect wife. 
There's no perfect child. There was one that was pretty close years back. Many, many years ago. No, it wasn't me. I know you were thinking it, but no, no, no. There's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no perfect child, no perfect parent, no perfect home, no perfect family, no perfect marriage, no perfect church. No perfect pastor. But our tendency, our human nature is to put people in places and positions that they do not belong. We see it in our culture. We see it in Christianity. And really here in our Western world and in, our, in, in the churches, they, they, they call them rock star pastors. And then all of a sudden you find out that the rock star pastor is not such a rock star after all. The debacles of, of, of church leaders and the, the, just the, the terrible, disgusting things that are happening. But here's the, the thing is oftentimes we put them in a position where they should not be. And we begin to almost worship them. And may I remind you of something? There's only one that we should worship and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And not keeping our eyes on man. Look with me in Jeremiah, the warning he gives the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8, he says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those. Listen to these words carefully. He said, cursed. There's a curse on those who put their trust in mere humans. Who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert. With no hope for the future. They will live in a barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed, notice here's the, here's the cure. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. There is a curse to those who put their trust or their confidence in man. He makes flesh his arm, if you will. The Bible says that that individual will eventually depart from the Lord. You say, why? I believe this is why. Because at some point you will be disappointed. They will let you down. They will fail you. I have watched many a Christian over the years that sit and come to a church. And what oftentimes happens is this. is someone is instrumental in their life. Or maybe it's a pastor, or maybe it's a speaker, or maybe it's a missionary or an evangelist, or you fill in the blank. Maybe it's a member of the church, and what happens is, is yes, God may use them, and yes, they may be instrumental, and yes, you may look up to them, if you will, but before long, they put them in an unhealthy place. A place that they should never be. And what ends up happening is this. Is that when that person fails. Or when that person lets them down. It not only crushes them. But it crushes their faith. Are you with me this morning? Myself growing up. My father was a pastor. And he was a church planter. And we hung out with missionaries. And we hung out with pastors. And I hung out with evangelists. And I'm going to tell you there was a point, and it, And it's very sad. Very sad, but many a times they would receive worship. They literally would. You, they, you would go to these conferences and meet these very, you know, people that were elevated and put onto a pedestal. And they were worshipped. And when they would come up to preach, everyone would clap and everyone would cheer. And here they come. 
And then after church, you would stand in line to go get your Bible signed. Because I got to have this. They were, you know, and they would, they would promote it. And they were made out to be heroes. And you would stand in line to have this pastor sign your Bible and get their verse some of them so much so that I'll, I'll just be honest, it's an unhealthy thing and it, it's, it, it, it's happening in a lot of the mega churches, let me tell you. And they have their personal detail and they have their security guards which builds into all of this stuff. Hero worship. And then when you find out that this good pastor friend of our family, that he's having an affair with my, my best friend's mom. That's, that crushes you. I could tell you story after story after story, and that, that's not the point. The point is this, is that we oftentimes put people in a place that they do not belong. Yes, you should reverence your husband. And the Bible says that you should, women should reverence, the wife should reverence the husband. But oftentimes we put them into a position or place that they could never live up to. Come on, somebody say amen. And then we make a mistake or when they fall, our faith is crushed. He says they will eventually depart from the Lord. They'll be disappointed. They'll be let down. The Bible tells us there in Jeremiah that they will be fruitless. They will dry up spiritually. People oftentimes have this idea that, that God has let them down. Can I tell you something? It's not God who disappoints us. It's people who disappoint us. He says the cure there in that passage was this. He says the cure was to those who trust in the Lord. He makes a number of statements. He speaks of the fact that there will be a blessing, that they will be planted by the water. The idea, and then he even uses the terms that they're rooted. Some versions will say that their roots dig deep. He will be fruitful. Look at Psalms 118, 8 and 9. Someone once did a study and they said, what is the center verse of the Bible? I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I've heard it. I've read it. It was on the internet, so it must be true. Amen? <laughs> I read it on the internet. And they did a study on what is, they counted up all the verses in the Bible, passages. What is the center, the most center passage of all the scriptures? What is the center verse of the Bible? This is what they found. Psalm 118, 8 and 9. Listen to what it says. It is better to put trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Center verse of the Bible says this, get your eyes off of men and keep your eyes on the Lord. One last passage, Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3. Paul says this, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, he talks about the great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews, we know it's finishing up the hall of faith. Hebrews 11, all the great men and women of the Bible. 
And he, he has the hall of faith. And then he continues and he says this. You look at all of them as examples. But look what he says in this chapter. He says, fixing your eyes. Can you say on who? On, on Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider who? Him. Consider who? Jesus. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Apostle Paul says that we must keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. We must consider him the one who has endured. What we are seeing here throughout Scripture is a common theme that throughout the Old and New Testament that the Bible tells us this warning that we need to keep our eyes off of man and keep our eyes fixed upon the one who is perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man will fail you, but Christ will never fail you. Listen to this statement I'm about to make. I'm almost done. Give me a minute or two and I promise I'm finished. But listen to what I'm about to tell you. Listen to this statement. You can always trust the Lord, but you cannot always trust those who are trusting in the Lord. You can always trust the Lord, but you can't always trust those who are trusting in the Lord. Man will fail you. Even the best of men are men at best. There's no perfect person, no perfect parent, no perfect pastor. But we do have a perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And we must keep our eyes fixed upon Him. I will fail you. I'm going to mess up. I've already done it a few times. And some of you are like, no, it's been a lot more than a few. (laughs) Okay, who's counting? Okay, I get it. We're going to mess up. Listen. Should we be an example? The Bible says we should be an example of a follower of Christ. Should we be an example? Yes. But can I say this? I am not the example. He is the example. Somebody say amen there. We must keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because people will fail you. People will disappoint you. People will hurt you. And many of the times, and most times, it's not even intentional. It's not malicious. It's not intended. But can I tell you this? The, the Bible is very clear. The Bible warns and says, listen, don't, don't put your trust and confidence in men. Put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. At Red Hills, you know what? Jesus is our example at Red Hills Church. Not a rock star pastor. I would not be a good rock star, that's for sure. But it's really sad because what we've done in Christianity is we've, we've put our eyes on men and women and we focus on, on that. Listen to me. We put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? He is our example. He is our rock. He is who we always look to. And if we do that, then we will not be disappointed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you.